Welcome to Wrestling and Everything, Coast to Coast, with your host, Buddy Satello Esquire. And this time, we are now actually more coast, wrestling coast to inland, because we're dealing with uh, Ryan Bowman here in Illinois. So, uh, welcome. And uh, uh, Ryan is, is a very accomplished writer and uh, contributor to a number of different sites and podcasts both about sports and about wrestling. So it's it's great to have you here. You've been a former guest on the show, and welcome to Wrestling and Everything. Thanks a lot, man. You know, it seems like it's been a while since we get to do this, so this should ought to, ought to be a lot of fun tonight. Yes, absolutely. So first, tell a little bit, for those who, haven't, uh, who don't remember you or maybe this is their first time seeing you, give us a little bit of your background in professional wrestling and in sports. Uh, well, actually, I started as a sports writer when when I was a teenager. I was, I guess, 14 and with my local newspapers. And then I've written a number of publications uh, over the years. And then, obviously, with technology, I've moved on to writing for websites now. And um, and just about uh, four and a half years ago, uh, I started a, uh, a website called thegorillaposition.com, ran it up till last year. And then sold it and went to freelancing. So I'm writing all websites right now, including sportskeeda.com and last word on pro wrestling. Um, so, you know, it's and it's been kind of um, as much as I miss the old place. It's also sort of a relief to not have to be the boss anymore. <laughs> so uh, it's been kind of fun to get out and do some different things and not really have the chains or the responsibilities of being an administrator somewhere. Just being able to do my own thing every day. Great. So tell us, tell fans a little bit about Sports Kita and what what it's all about and what 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 kind of articles you write for Sports Kita. Mostly now we have a variety of different types of, of stories, but I, I kind of find mine to be a little bit unique. One of my editors even said that I'm more of a feature writer kind of. Um, I, I always love like where Bill Apter gave me you know when i got into writing about wrestling bill was the first person to take me under his wing you know and then we became you know great friends but he always says time you know um i'm not a reporter i'm a storyteller and that's kind of i've taken that and kind of ran with it as far as the way i look at things it's i want to tell this i want it to be kind of a symphony from the beginning to the end that makes people think instead of just this guy beat that guy. You know, I kind of want to, I always like to put a little angle and a little symbolism into everything. That's yeah. I definitely noticed that from reading your articles, you have a lot of, uh, 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 insight. You give a lot of insight to, uh, to when you write, can you tell me about your first involvement in pro wrestling and what made you a fan of professional wrestling? Well, what made me a fan was um, when I was very, very, very small. One of the first TV shows I ever remember watching was Wrestling at the Chase in St. Louis. Um, and I'm probably five at the time. And, uh, you know, uh, my brothers had it on on the weekends and I became enamored with it. And then when I could drive, I started going to small shows, just local shows and got to know wrestlers and started hanging out with the guys and uh, did some ring announcing for a couple companies, did a little bit of refereeing, I think only a couple times, but, you know, more or less a chance to get a taste of that culture. Did you work with any big names while you were in the Indies? I mean, a lot of former ECW guys like Axel Rotten, Balls Mahoney, people like that. Um, oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, I probably 
worked obviously being a writer now i've worked more with um you know bigger than back then a lot of the indie shows you know it's hard to remember because a lot of the indie shows back then were just it was a a lot of the indie guys and one name from a former company you know um one man gang i think i i I worked a show with him you know some of the guys that were veterans that were kind of out of the big promotions and just kind of making the loop making shots on the road any of the uh younger indie guys go on to do anything big did you see any guys while they were you know just starting out and then they became bigger stars um you know there was a lot of guys in the midwest uh i I mean i saw you know like matt seidel i was there for his first match you know um uh that was early 2000s but you know before that you know i I got to see when steampunk wrestled in iwa mid-south i wasn't working that show but i was there you know and to see what he went on to do and i believe um actually i believe he wrestled eddie guerrero on that card because eddie was kind of away from that was a during a sabbatical he had from wwe um for some things that went on and um you know i i again it's kind of hard to put it together because there were so many names and faces back then that just you know it's more to me i think i always try to remember the more obscure guys that i can see their face or i can remember their gimmick but i can't i can't think of their names it's more of it's more weird that i always wonder about yeah yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, you, you never know. It's uh, These guys could actually, I guess now the guys from the early 2000s, they haven't made it now. They probably aren't going to make it, but, you know. Exactly. But I, I always tell people that's a good reason to go to an indie fed show is that you never know when you're going to see a future star or, you know. I mean, I, I got to see a guy named The Prototype, you know, uh, Russell, <laughs> you know, and uh, he turns into John Cena. So it's nice to say, you know, you, you've seen people, you know, and, and this guy, Samoa Joe, that no one had ever heard of. Yeah. Took a yeah. Dime I, mean, I, I can remember getting the tapes from out there in like the late 90s, early 2000s. When those guys, uh, there were, I think there was a series of tapes that came out. Waking session tapes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was back then. I mean, before the internet was really huge and you mm-hmm. ever put their stuff on YouTube, if you didn't trade tapes with people, you wouldn't get a chance to see any indie stuff. And, right. you know, right. it was so hard to copy videotapes back then. Most people didn't do it. So, you know, that's why a lot of that, that those early match matches are either lost because just nobody ever recorded any of them or they're on VCR and nobody can, nobody has VCRs anymore and nobody can right. watch them unless it gets converted over to YouTube. So, you know, that who knows when all that stuff is, yeah. is going to get converted. I even have a fair amount of a few APW tapes that I still need to just sit down and do the time. You know, the problem with videotapes is that it ta- if you have eight hours of the video, it takes at least eight hours to transcribe it all to your computer because you can't run the videotape any faster than it takes to play it. So, so yeah. you know, that's one of the reasons. The computer can go fast, but it can't. <laughs> right. The, the, the videotape can only go a certain speed and still yeah. be legible. So all my, all my priceless global uh, footage from global wrestling is all on tape and is staying there. I think, you know, for all eternity until either I dump all that stuff 
pay to get it converted or we have a fire and and, and that's the end of that and it's so, all gone yeah <laughs> yeah um, uh, 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 so and you're wearing your aew uh, uh, t-shirt obviously and that's that's your main beat right now isn't it pretty much most of it what I do is aew so what are your thoughts about aew currently and you were talking about seeing CM Punk earlier you know live what what are your thoughts about aew right now you know I I can't believe anybody wouldn't be excited about doing. I mean, I I know there's a lot of diehard WWE fans that don't want to hear that, but they are on the rise. They're doing a lot of really great things. There's they have the biggest buzz right now in wrestling, and that's where it starts. I mean, I, do I, do I think they're going to ever overtake WWE? Probably not, but they can at least grow to the point. I mean, they're not going to ever probably reach the levels that it gets as far as viewerships because of the cable versus terrestrial tv difference but if they could match raw's numbers and be right there in that in that same category in just a couple, you know that's amazing uh, and and anybody that's a real wrestling fan should be rooting for a just because i'm wearing a shirt doesn't mean i'm rooting against wwe um but and just like vice versa i would say don't root against aew root for both of them because you know you don't want one to go away or the other to go away because that just makes wrestling in general weaker. We need more competition out there. We need more, you know, whether you like WWE or you hate it, or you like AEW or you hate it, the idea that you ha just have this again is exciting. And as a fan, you should appreciate that and not, you know, make snide comments about either company. You can, again, say, hey, I don't like this one. I'm going to watch this one. But don't root for one to die because that's just bad for the business in general. Yeah, obviously, when there was only one Fed and the WWE ruled the the roost, uh, you know, and there were and they bought out e ECW and they bought out WCW, and they even had all the AWA old footage. You know, they owned all the all the the quality of wrestling was probably at its lowest. You know, yeah. but you can't put a jar on wrestling, can you? It's just not no. something that anyone can just own. Like the way the NFL owns football, right? Because I think in a couple of ways. One is because there's always more wrestlers than there are matches for them. You know, there's always a surplus of talented guys and gals that could get in the ring and wrestle. Then you have match spots available for them. Yeah, I mean, and. The thing about that is you can go so far as saying, I would love to see another third major company pop up. Like, I know there's Ring of Honor and there's Impact, but I'm talking about on that national cable stage as well. And we just have, a you know, an well, all-out. NXT, NXT was kind of doing it, but I think Vince McMahon got upset with NXT upping it in the ratings and being, you know, the, the, the favored child of the of the two and i you know the recent moves by vince i think has really been to cripple and to denigrate the nxt product and to sort of say look if i can't make the wwe better at least i can make next worse so that wwe yeah. is better i mean there's a lot of people that have that theory i i think i don't know sometimes i think it's just he feels like he has to have his hand in everything. And when the ratings didn't, they didn't get the ratings that when they didn't beat AEW on Wednesday nights and it moved to Tuesdays, I think after, you know how Vince is, is he is, he hates to lose anything. 
I think it just ate at him long enough that he said, okay, I'm stepping in and I'm changing everything. I, I really do believe I, based on everything I've ever seen or heard about Vince, that would not shock me that it was just one of the, you guys lost. You obviously don't know what you're doing. I need to come in and, and fix things. And, but I don't think he's fixing anything, you know, as far as, you know, what, what the general critical consensus is, you know, it's not, he's not fixing very much. And a lot of the talent is leaving because yeah. they're, they're, they're so disillusioned with how they're being treated and Vince himself, I think, has gone into the kind of this Howard Hughes mode where he's so paranoid of anyone that could challenge his power structure that he is getting rid of them, firing them, or denigrating them to the point where they want to get up and leave. I will say this, though. Um, and I, I, NXT, I, I don't know who most of the people are now. They brought in almost a whole fresh new crew. But I will say SmackDown and Raw, these past two episodes, I thought were really good. And I actually told them about how, you know, hey, are they actually going to do this? Are they going to are they going to turn the corner? Or is this where they, they come to the cross and, and they make the right turn? You know, um, I, I, if, if they could continue to do what they do week in and week out, what they've done over the last, you know, the Madison Square Garden show, Friday's been tonight's episode i mean last night's episode of raw i'm sorry um you know if, if they can do that week in and week out the product is going to improve exponentially it's all that's always been the issue is that they they get something started and then it's a start stop type of system for some reason and that's why it seems like i think they've done that so many times the fan base is just that's why people have stopped watching you know because they're as soon as they get into something bray white is a great example twice the fans got behind him, and both times they pulled it from underneath it for whatever reason. And you know? Yeah, and I, I, I don't get the impression that Big E is a really popular champion with a lot of people. At least, you um, know, I think in internet world. people, but I, I, you know, fans react to him. So that's all. He, I mean, if you hear making noise in the arena, you know, popping for him. That's all I ever go by. I, I I know there's a lot of people on the internet that are taking shots at that move to put the belt on him, but so he he looked good in the match with uh, Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley last night, and you know just I don't know. I mean we'll, we'll see what happens. It's just you know we're we're barely into it right now, so you know it may it may be one of those things that he's getting a lot of those sympathy pops right now, or the you deserve it pops, you know, right now. And in a couple, three weeks, the people are sick of it. That's possible, too. Yeah, I mean, the fans can be definitely fickle. And yeah. what they what they think is great for one week, you know, can change to another. Although, you know, there's some things that they don't seem to be, you know, warming up to at all. And there's some people who get the pops, even if Vince tries to bury them, you know, like Cesaro. I mean, there's a guy who really should be accomplishing so much more in the WWE and given much more of a, of a, uh, a feature role because of the talent he displays in the ring. Yet he, at best, you know, he's, he's a sideshow act with uh, Sheamus, you know, they had the titles on him for a while, but he never gets much of a really, of an individual run. And I know he's not a great mic worker, but they could pair him up with a manager. They could, you know, give him a valet, you know, and it just, Vince just seems convinced not to want to push Cesaro no matter what what happens. 
Well, they had it right with him with the uh, James Bond gimmick. That was what they should have stuck with because that was cool. And that was something he wanted to do. So he was behind it. Um, but again, you know, they always fix things that aren't broken for a reason. Yeah, and that's a formula for disaster in a lot of ways, you know, and and is one of the things that cause causes fans to, you know, want to look elsewhere and find another, you know, uh, Fed to to follow. I mean, I I think AEW is better in giving the fans what they want, even if it isn't always the best. I mean, the Young Bucks, I think, are a good example of that, you know. Maybe not the greatest wrestling in the entire universe, and their their matches are highly predictable. But you know, like Bret Hart, they give you a good match every time. I mean, I can't think of a Young Bucks match that really, really sucked. I mean, I I'm trying to think back on one. There have been ones that I've been better. There's matches that are better than others, but they just don't mail it in. I've never seen them, and I've seen them in indie shows before they were big mm-hmm. and the crowd was only, you know, a couple hundred and they still put on a tremendous show up here in Petaluma, actually a bunch of years ago, a, a short lived indie fed brought in, flew in um, uh, the young bucks and, and had them, had them wrestle. And they, they, they put on a great show, you know? And so uh, I give them a lot of credit for that. And I think AEW, you know, they pushed Luchas- Luchasaurus fans like that. You know, they, they, they pushed the New Order, the fans like that, you know, and they were even able to make the New Order survive even when um, uh, 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 Luke Harper... Um, um, Brody uh, Lee. Brody. Yeah, they, even when he died, they were able to keep that angle alive, which I thought was kind of interesting and, and not easy to do. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I mean, I think that um, uh, they have found ways to guys and this was something people always said Paul Heyman was good at in ECW take guys that might not might not have as much talent as others or may not be as entertaining or flashy as others and find ways to fit them into the show and like someone like Sean Spears to me not a lot lot of whole lot of charisma good wrestler um, good look but you know not too much charisma as far as I'm concerned so they put him with Tully Blanchard, they make him the chairman. You know, at least now he's got, it's simple, it's subtle, but, you know, um, just, that's just one example, the dark order thing. Like you said, they took a a lot of guys who would have been probably misfits anywhere else and put them into a group together. And they've been able, and now they're playing into a storyline where they're kind of separating and going into different factions. You know, they've been able to play, people mocked that gimmick when it first started, but two years later, it's still going. And it became even more interesting when their leader died and they actually became baby faces from it. You know, they they actually became popular then. That's when, you know, unfortunately, uh, a tragic incident is what kind of elevated them to being, you know, more legitimate in AEW. But you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it almost seems like AEW has made a lot of mistakes, but they also seem like they know how to take lemons and make lemonade. And that's something that or oranges. Yeah. Well, well, I was gonna say, and then on the flip side, it seems like WWE takes lemonade and somehow turns it back into lemons. You know, and it's it's like a tale of two different companies. However, having said that, you know, WWE is again, you never can doubt them because 
they they have been known to catch lightning in a bottle so many times in the past that then all of a sudden one guy or two guys get hot and they're back their ratings are back and, you know they're building around that and they're able to create uh, storylines coming off that that other characters can get involved in and you know we can see that again uh, you know like i said you never count them out <laughs> i never grew up a wwe fan not a, not a huge wwe fan now but you know i also don't doubt the power of that company and their reach well growing up here in the bay area we were mostly in AWA territory. So we got a lot of the uh, the AWA matches. We get a fair amount of WWF matches, you know, when we're growing up. But but there was no NWA. There was no uh, WCW barely, you know, came out to our, to the West Coast. And we have, I mean, Ring of Honor, if they do stuff, it's only in LA. They've only done one thing here in the Bay Area. And so the Bay Area is a little bit of a different sort of, of venue. And and we got a little bit different wrestling growing up here in the Bay Area than I did out than you did out in Chicago, which I always imagined was a more multi multi-wrestling federation city i you got the nwa you got awa and you got the wwe all came mainly to chicago but but that well, was actually always- i'm 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 from closer to st louis i'm from southern illinois so i i grew up hours from chicago i see yeah you did mention that but uh, st louis was the same was the same way we got we got Obviously, we had wrestling at the chase where all the different, you know, but that's when I was very, very young. But, you know, as I got older, you know, local television, we had world-class wrestling. We had Crockett Promotions. We had the WWF. We had the UWF. Where I lived, you could actually get Channel 6 in Paducah and get Memphis Wrestling, you know. Uh, so, basically, the whole weekend I could watch. That's another reason probably why I got addicted because I, instead of watching cartoons on weekends, I was watching wrestling. Yeah, I always had a sixth sense of knowing when wrestling was on. You know, <laughs> uh, in fact, it, at my uh, uh, prom, we had uh, we had a TV in the limo, and I managed to find wrestling in the limo. And <laughs> me and the other guys that rented the limo were all, you know, giving each other claw holds and sleeper <laughs> holds, and our dates were just like going, "What have we gotten ourselves into?" But <laughs> a, a, a different story for another time. Um, uh, 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 I wanted to. To also kind of get into your mind, do you ever wish that you could be involved in an indie fed doing booking or doing anything on the promotion side? Or is that something that you just sort of said, you know, I did it when I was younger and that's all kind of in my past. Do you you ever think, oh, I'd love to book a fed or or be part of an indie federation in my area or I wouldn't mind helping out. I mean, I have uh, done a couple of things with our local promotion here, Stride, and I did ring announcing for them one time. My One of my good friends, uh, he was going on uh, vacation with his wife, and so I got to fill in that night, and my favorite wrestler growing up was Ricky Steamboat. Well, the special guest that night was Ricky Steamboat. Wow. So, and, I'd never, and so to get to be in the ring and announce him as he comes out to be the special guest referee, you know, it was like the thrill of a lifetime. And and then to double up on that story, and we still got a topic that we, a topic we were going right. to talk about. Right. But right. the the uh, the kicker on all that was 
uh, the first magazine I ever got, wrestling magazine I got, had Ricky Steamboat on the cover. That's why I bought it. And um, and and I had it with me. And so that night he signed it. It was from 1985. So all these years later, he signed the magazine I bought when I was 10 nice. years old. I still have it in my office now. So that's that great. that was that's like the that's my high water mark ever in wrestling. And just and it just happened to be by dumb luck that they the local guys called me up and said, "Hey, do you you want to fill in? You know, uh, Saturday night or Friday night, whenever it was." And and I said, "Sure." And, you know, found out that it was going to be Ricky Steamboat. And then, of course, I'm like a little kid at that point. But it was great. And, you know, my wife was there and she got to meet Rick and everything else and couldn't be a nicer gentleman, uh, you know, anywhere in wrestling. There there couldn't be a nicer guy. I've heard Ricky great Steamboat. stories about him. My favorite wrestler, if you ever wanted to know, is was the spoiler. Loved him. Just loved the big, scary silent mask guy that's been one of the the angles that i love i've as a manager i've i i keep managing guys putting masks on them and making me do all the talking for them that's that's my i just that that's kind of an angle that's sort of gone away you know and and i wish we come back where you have the the yappy loudmouth manager and his big bodyguard it just stands around and does nothing. I guess Lashley is about as close as you're going to get, but he, he doesn't wear a mask. So, um, uh, 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 so uh, I do want to you know move towards one of the, the topics that, that we're going to talk about tonight, and that is um, just recently they had on Dark Side of the Ring, which is always good for topics to bring up in, uh, for our show because – there's always some controversy that goes on in Dark Side of the Ring. The la the latest Dark Side of the Ring is the plane ride from hell, which I just watched the show for it a couple nights ago. And um, uh, there's a lot to be discussed in that because of where it was in time versus where we are now. I know there's a lot of people saying, well, it's all been adjudicated and there have been facts that have come out since then. And, and maybe the, the stewardess wasn't as, as nice a person as she plays on TV and all of this stuff. But why it's important? Well, first of all, maybe I'd like your thoughts on the, 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 just the Dark Side of the Ring episode itself. What, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I don't think I've, I haven't seen all of their episodes. I've seen most of them. I don't think I've seen a really bad episode of Dark Side of the Ring yet. Um, uh, they do such a great job uh, in between the cutaways to the interviews with sort of, and then sort of the, the the motion picture style vignettes that kind of recreate, you know, and, and everything's in a shat in shadows, you know, and and I just think it's really well done. The cinematography on it is great as far as the content. I think those guys do a good job doing their research, tracking down people. Um, you know, this was a I, I got to be honest with you for them. This was kind of a ballsy episode to do because, you know, they're going to have some people now that may be bitter about it and don't want to work with them in the future. Uh, at the same time, I feel like it was a story that needed to be said, and I thought it was told very well. Yeah, well, too well in some cases. You know, it's the, the controversy about it hasn't died down. I mean, that's one thing is that a lot of people thought, oh, well, it was 20 years ago, and because it's 20 years ago, you know, people will just move on. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, 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 certainly Tommy Dreamer wishes 
that everyone would just move on. I think Rob Van Dam wishes everyone would just kind of move on. And Ric Flair definitely wishes everyone would just move on from it. But we're in that time now, in that perspective. Well, two things I think are big factors. One is wrestling has had a maybe a ground-breaking mentality change about women in the last 10 years. Wouldn't you say that they're that that using women as pieces of meat and as sexual objects has transformed as women have become a greater factor in the ring and are seen as real combatants. Right. Back in those days, I mean, a lot of times a guy's valet uh, or girlfriend on screen was, you know, I mean, let's be honest, a stripper that he met at a club and decided to hook up with. And, you know, hey, you want to be, you know, because she's pretty, let's put her on TV. I mean, I can think of a few of them right off the top of my head um, that some of the guys end up marrying, actually. Um, but, but it, it, we're, and that's the other thing. In in many ways, I guess the word that I, I would use, and I, I mean no disrespect to the women, but from the guy's perspective or maybe the company's perspective, they were what I would call disposable. You know, we can replace you with any other pretty girl there is out there because – you know, you don't really do anything special but stand there and look pretty. Where now, the women are not like that. I mean, women's wrestling in the 90s was almost, at least in America, was almost non-existent. You know, on, on a major scale, um, you had girls like Medusa and, you know, uh, Malaya Hosaka and, and people like that, that that were some of the best in the world. But even then, uh, many times they went to Japan to work because there wasn't a lot of work in the States. Um, you know. It was really women's wrestling. How many wrestling cards did you see with with a women's match on it? Most of the time, not at all. And if there was, or there was one. one women's match, and it would be at the bottom of the card. You yeah, know, right after Second. the curtain jerk, or right after yeah. intermission. So yeah, yes. and, and but now look at women in wrestling. They they are as much an, a a part of the show, and as much of competitors as the guys are. And in some ways, they're more compelling. And their stories are so you have to give them credit for, you know, the evolution. And I know that word's already been used for a pay-per-view and everything else, but it really has been an evolution to see where women have come from being sex objects and really not wrestlers in the ring where you're having brawn panty matches and things like that to the point now where they're big name players. I mean, these girls are making some as much money as the guys are. And we've seen women in main events now, and and the general discussion a lot of times is as much on the women's matches as you have um, in the men's matches. Although, in the most recent SummerSlam and WrestleMania, I thought the women's matches were a real letdown. I was not very impressed with them. But I will say this again, um, with the exception of as I said, people like Medusa, people like Susan Sexton, um, Malaya Hosaka, there were a handful of girls who could really work back in the late 80s, early 90s. Most, a lot of it was hair pulling and slapping and, you know, long rest holds and things like that. Not, not, they, they, what we think is light years ahead of what we saw even just 20, 20 years ago in the wrestling business. And I think even the ladies from back then would admit that now it's it's gone almost to like a futuristic stage. If you had told me at any time in 
1995, 2000, that we would be seeing what we see from women in the ring now and them doing the, um, the absolutely amazing, you know, stunts and feats that they do now, I would have told you you were crazy because I never thought they would have ever gotten a chance. Well, um, and I wasn't sure they were tough enough, you know, but then when I started training, I started training with Sarah Del Rey as <laughs> she was just a valet back then. And she used to beat the tar out of me every weekend. You know, yeah, she was practicing. And I used to call her Sarah the Stiff because she would just like, she's supposed to slap me, right? But she would miss and hit, cut me right on the ear and just knock me flat. And I, you know, have a, a ringing ear for the next like two hours. And, you know, when she would practice the low blows, she'd miss the low blow and hit me right in the junk and knock me flat. And so after a very short time, I was like, and, I also worked a lot with cheerleader Melissa and a lot of people don't know that her father um, who just passed away recently um, was a former cop and he taught her all sorts of police, uh, you know, uh, in hand combat moves growing up. So she's like tougher than a lot of guys, you know, a lot of people just because she was a cheerleader, people thought, oh, well, she's soft. But, you know, I she has her can run on me and, and done all sorts of other heavy moves to me. So I, I'm like, I have a lot of respect for her. And so, you know, where those ladies were an exception for a while, <laughs> they've now really become part of the business. And now the expectations are so much higher. You don't have, you know, uh, 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 lady, you know, it, uh, Lita was another lady who really, you know, people saw doing heavy top rope moves, doing all sorts of, physical acrobatic stuff that they didn't really think women had a pain threshold for. I have a little extra story too. When we were training the valets, um, we were, and I always point this out to tell people how dangerous the ring is because people are like, oh, well, you know, the ring is, is padded and the, the ropes are like rubber bands and, and you have uh, 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 foam th turnbuckles that don't hurt. And I said, when, when we were training, there was this uh, uh, lady who wanted to become a valet, and she was short. She was maybe about five foot four, okay? And we were doing the rope, but we were learning how to do the ropes. And how you do the rope is that you, you do three steps across the ring, turn, put your arm over the top rope, bounce off of it, and then come back. Well, she's so short that she missed the rope, and the back of her head hit the rope right on that part of the back of your head that you get rabbit punched, right in that junction between the, the spine and your the back of your head. Mm -hmm. Knocked her out. She just, she fell on her face like Greg the Hammer Valentine, just straight, <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't a work. She, I mean, it was, it, it was a total shoot and she fell flat on her face, bloody nose, never valeted again for the rest of her life. And so, <laughs> And in some ways, I was like, well, you know, you get one physical drawback like that or an injury like that and you quit. You know, that didn't, to me, seem like, okay, well, you're, not, you're never going to make it in the business. But at that same time, I watched Sarah Del Rey blow both of her knees out, come back from surgery, and still continue to wrestle to such a high point where she's now the um, uh, 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 head of uh, training for women in the WWE. And it's really amazing.
it's yeah, really where she's gone. You know, you have to think too, because most of the ladies, you know, Sarah's obviously been around a long time, but most of the ladies in WWE, since we're talking about the current women's division and we were just talking about the plane ride from hell, what do you think their current women's roster has to think when they see that special and, you know, and realize this is the company I work for, this is what it used to be like? You know, well, they're, I mean, they're 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 lucky in some ways because they most of these guys, except for like Brock, Brock Lesnar, you know, are not wrestling anymore. I mean, Scott Hall's out of the business. Uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, Kurt Henning's dead. Um, you know, uh, uh, most of these other guys, Rob Van Dam's retired, and and so forth. Ric Flair, you know, still kind of you know is in the background, but he's not a major function. Although I wonder if AEW is going to employ him after all of this. But I think, you know, when I first started in managing, um, and this was like 2000, my impression of, a, of an indie locker room was that it was one part overgrown high school, like high school guys that never grew up, one part military, and one part traveling circus. And mm -hmm. so... There was that prevailing, like, macho attitude of, like, because you're doing something that you love to do as a kid, and wrestling was aimed towards sort of a more youthful mentality, I think the excuse was if you're going to act like a kid in the ring, you can act like a kid outside the ring. And you yeah. can act like a high schooler that never grew up. And there was a yeah. lot of guys that I think when they did their wrestling to keep from ever really growing up as a man and treating people, not just women, but everybody around them, like they were equals. Yeah, it's, it's Peter Pan syndrome. You know, the boy that'll never grow up. And, and I think that's illustrated quite a bit with the the same thing with the, you know, if you look at that situation and how it unfolded, it was because there was excessive drinking. And they just kept bringing out more and more and more booze. And that's the same thing. Like you said, it's almost, I, I always say the frat boy mentality. You know, that if, hey, if, it's, if it's there, if, it, if there's drugs there, there's alcohol there, and, and it's just going to keep coming and we're going to get it for free, well, then just keep giving me more and more and more and more and more. And, you know, that leads to some really bad behavior, obviously. I mean, not just on a, on a wrestling uh company's airplane but anywhere you know and i think that's that's one of the biggest epidemics in in america today is that most of the, most of a good portion of the men in this country have that problem not drinking i'm talking about the not growing up part of it and yeah and, and, and I, i'm not going to paint with too broad of a brush but i think a lot of wrestlers didn't go to college and if they did they went to community college they 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 didn't. They were never part of a frat scene or anything like that. And some of them, I think, kind of felt left out that they didn't get to party like crazy like some of their friends did in college. And so when they're away from their girlfriends and their wives at the show, you know, especially traveling, if you're with wrestlers that travel, you know, and get away from their general environment, they feel like they have this sort of ability to act in a way that they wouldn't act in front of people that they totally knew. Do you know what and I mean? And the other thing too is is I think 
in a lot of ways, they're their own because of wrestling. There's still, even to this day, there's still a stigma on pro wrestling, and, and wrestlers have to take a lot of crap from people. They're their own fraternity because, you know, they're like the rest of the world sees us kind of as freaks. So, but we, we're all together and we can all hang together and have all this fun and party. And it's kind of our own little world. And that, not that they're, they're not, you know, they're actually inept or anything like that. But I think there is adjustment going from, you know, being the guy you are in the ring, of the purse of the, from going on a, back to being the person. I think it's a hard it's hard for, let's say, you know, I don't know. Let me think of somebody. I think with character, it's hard for Gold Dust to just go home and be Dustin Rhodes again because he had to pretend to be somebody else for so long. And I think that weighs on the guys too. I'm not, I'm not excusing anybody's behavior on this or at any time or any of the guys that have been out there, you know, H people, you know, putting Halcyon in girls' drinks or GHB. That was something. I mean, I'm, I'm wrestling's had its fair share of, of uh, sexual encounters that happened over uh, situations. Again, guys go on the road and they think that they, you know, can do stuff that they would never do at home. You know, they feel that there's a kind of uh, anonymity or that there's that they're they're invulnerable to making mistakes because they're not home and nobody knows who they are, quote unquote. They know, you know. They know Buddy Sotelo, but they don't know Russell Jackman. And so Buddy Sotelo can do all these obnoxious things and, and be so mean to everybody. But Russell Jackman would never do that stuff. But after a while, especially when you start involving drinking and drugs, that barrier that people put up to keep themselves from acting that way in public and against other people really goes away. And so that's another thing that you know I wanted to touch on was was especially in that early 2000s time frame, the amount of drinking and the amount of drugs that were going on in, in all forms of sports, not just wrestling, but certainly wrestling being a lot less overseen by any kind of public entity. Um, uh, uh, that sort of thing was very prevalent and it was very damaging to a lot of people. I mean, not just the wrestlers themselves, but to anyone that was caught, you know, in the crossfire, like what we saw in the plane ride from hell. Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of a lot of young guys um, who, you know, big, strong, tough guys, got a lot of testosterone. Um, they're, they're out. They pretty much have limitless money at the time WWE was riding. I mean, that's when they were at some of their best, you know, when they had really their stride about, I guess, 2000 was one of those years that year they sort of just broke out and then they just took off. So it seems like, you know, that time, Hey, the money's pouring in, uh, we're super successful. We're the only show in town. We can pretty much do whatever we want. And, and I think that mentality trickled down to the whole roster uh, or most of the roster. I shouldn't say that. Um, and you know, it just exploded on that flight. And apparently it happened on several flights. It happened in, in, in arenas. It happened in hotel rooms where the guys would trash hotel rooms like that. You can't excuse that behavior. It's almost animalistic in a lot of ways. But you know, it happened a lot then. Hopefully, I know there's still situations that go on now. And I know we just had a couple of young wrestlers basically have been blackballed from from 
the pro wrestling business because of accusations that came out about them a couple of years ago. And I've done yet. I don't think, I think that this plane ride from Helding just is going to open up that can of worms again. And we're going to start hearing about a lot of other people as well. And, you know, if they've done wrong, then good. They should have to be accountable for that. But hopefully it doesn't lead to a lot of people coming out and just making accusations or coming up with rumors. Yeah, that's another side of it too, obviously, is that there's always that factor that, you know, someone could use this to their own advantage if they wanted to abuse the, uh, the, the, the current Me Too attitude that's going on right now. But it, it is a change of attitude. I mean, it's a societal attitude where we're not looking at the, the maybe, you know, I mean, you look at like like the '80s and like all those those teen movies of the '80s, like and how they haven't aged well. Like I saw Revenge of the Nerds the other day, you know, and what we all thought was kind of funny, where they were doing the spying on the girls with cameras and then you know making DVDs out of them or you know making videotapes out of them, you know, you know, you see that then it was ah funny that you know. That, that'll teach those sorority girls. And then you look at it now, you're like, oh, wow. Well, if that happened now, they'd all be arrested and sued for, you know, tons of money, you know. For- and, you know, the sad part about it is I've heard uh, guys from the past do shoot interviews. This is just over the last couple of years in front of the young guys now. Oh, no, I don't know what's wrong with them. None of them seems like none of them ever go out and party or most of them never go out and party. And all they want to do is play video games and uh, all of them got, you know, like, like almost putting them down for not cheating on their wives and stuff like that. I'm like, don't you understand? That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to behave yourself. You're supposed to, you know, it's okay to be a little bit boring because if exciting means going out and getting drunk and drugged up and, and sexually assaulting a woman, then I'd rather not be exciting. You know, if that's, if that's their definition of excitement. Isn't there enough going on in the ring? that that shouldn't be exciting enough. Can't you just be <laughs> exciting about what goes on in the ring? But I do think, you know, especially when, the you know, maybe it's less severe now because of COVID. People are not traveling as much and there's not as much of a, of, of a, of a culture that fosters it. But I think there's still stuff, as you said, that's going on behind the scenes that people are not as open about it but it's still the dialogue needs to continue and you know we have to continue to look at the ladies that wrestle and the ladies that that work you know uh, as referees that work as uh, uh attendants for the show and and helping to set up and and these other things as equals because if there's a a belief that people in the wrestling fed are not equal you have this power vacuum going on and that's always a level and an area where abuse can occur when people feel that there's that vacuum of power going on and that there's that one person is so much more powerful than the other. And I I hate to say it, that's not going to happen in the WWE because one of the worst violators of that concept (laughs) is Vince McMahon. I don't think there's ever been a human being that has gotten away with as much as far as that goes and not had to answer for it than Vince McMahon. And I know he'll probably, you know, send me a, 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 a subpoena. You know, I'll probably get a summons 
after this. But, you know, the, the stories of the things that he's done to his inferiors is, I mean, pretty legendary and pretty awful. And the, the dark side of the ring probably won't be able to do one until, you know, 30 years after he's dead because of all the uh, 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 statute of limitations they're going to have to run out. But when you have someone like Vince McMahon, who is, who is known for treating people as objects. And has had sexual assault allegations himself. I mean, and we know he's settled for big money on a number of cases. And he, and a guy like Vince McMahon doesn't settle for a dime if he thinks, if he doesn't think he's guilty. So, you know, I mean, all that stuff is buried and deep underground, but it is eventually going to surface once he dies. And, you know, I, I wonder, I mean, there's no way for Vince to change the culture now. But I wonder if they're finding ways to plan to change the culture once he's gone, you know, once he's out of there. Well, I just I think it, it comes down to, you know, this is a, not this is a sick comparison because, believe me, it's, it does not equate to what these women or that especially that stewardess went through. But it's going to have to take something like the they had to start the wellness policy. Because they were not going to test for steroids until all of a sudden now the government's in our neck. And I know I don't think the government can step in in this situation, but there's going to have to be something major to to, to where Vince feels like he his company or his corporation is in danger in any way of losing money or losing a, a, a gigantic political uh, public relations loss. Um, because that's the only time he will ever doing um if it if it comes down to it has to be something really big or it's going to be business as usual because vince vince is right vince well do you think do you think vince is ever going to sell that's a major topic is you think that vince vince will ever sell the wwe to somebody or even the family i i i you know what i'm Honestly, I wish I could give an answer on that, but I, I'm, I just throw up my hands. I think you go 50-50. I think if somebody wants, I, I think that they're positioning it to where they, if, if it ever comes down to the point where Vince steps down, that he'll be okay to sell it. Um, at the same time, I also First, think... What would he do once he sells it? You know, I mean, it's been his life for so long. You know, first of all, I never thought he'd live to be 75 years old. That, that, if you wanted to, if you wanted to take a, a first thing. You know that Walt Disney died at age 64? Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't realize that, like, Vince McMahon is 11 years older than Walt Disney. You know, even though Walt Disney looked about as old as Vince McMahon. You know, it, it seems like people back then seemed old. When they were in the 60s, they, they looked a lot older than the people who are 60 nowadays. Maybe that's just, you know, you think about like The Undertaker's only a few years younger than Walt Disney. You know, you think, think about that. Like, you know, and he's, and Evander Holyfield just got in the ring, you know, and, and he's like right about that same age. So you, you wonder, you know, like, like about that. But, but, but Vince McMahon, you know, I never thought he'd, he'd, he'd live this long. But now that he has, you know, I don't know if he'd ever be able to mentally live with much longer without having the WWE as his plaything. I think it would take a major health issue for him to have to step down, and, and uh, you know, to where he would be basically 
he'd have to come to the realization that I have to, I have to get away from this now. And, and I, I'm sure he'd still be on the phone every day, you know, yeah, <laughs> That's his thing, you know, but um, I don't know. It's, you know, the, as far as the sale goes, I mean, again, I, I think if, if, if he, uh, they're positioning it in a way that it could be sold, but, and, but I don't think it would be sold right now unless somebody just came in with a blow you away offer. And, and in the meantime, I think it's, it's, I think it's probably two years down the road is what, what I'm thinking. Between the next year and two years, I think it'll happen because you, you've got all these huge conglomerates now buying up all of this, uh, all this content. And what they, they pride having the most is live content. Can you imagine? So that may be very valuable. Yeah, can you imagine if Disney buys the WWE? What would probably happen to it? You know, the the political correctness that would they'd have to undergo to to make the WWE Disney friendly. That that would be well. Well, yeah. okay, well, Disney owns some properties though that you know produce you know stuff. And, and again, they've also purchased every franchise out there. I believe they they own Star Wars, and I think they own the Marvel. Indiana Jones. You know, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, oh, oh, well, Marvel. Yeah, they Disney owns Marvel Comics. Well, that's right. Yeah, they did buy Marvel Studios, didn't they? Yeah, so, no, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of money. They, they, and, they, there's no shortage there. And you know, so you could see very well them saying, "Hey, you know, we we have a live coming twice a week or three times a week if you count NXT live programming three times a week." 52 days a year or 52 weeks a year, you know, that's, and that's the stuff that these companies, these streaming services are, they treasure, you know, live programming and, and sports programming and, you know, WWE's considered loosely sports programming. So I, I actually think Disney is going to be the one eventually. May I would personally, I would like to see some wrestling scaled back. I would not mind wrestling being two or even one hour program. You know, to cut down the three hours and concentrate the wrestling itself to just one to two hours or maybe an hour and a half. And what you saw was just action from start to finish. AEW is better at that. And I find I am more entertained with the fact that they get out of the way with their promos quickly and get into the ring and start wrestling. Whereas with the WWE, uh, one one of the I mean... I, I don't watch SmackDown and Raw all the time, but like maybe about three weeks ago, I watched a Raw, and it was uh, from eleven from ten to eleven. I saw one one match and two promos, and in an hour, and a lot of repeats and a lot of ads. And during the mm-hmm. match, there were ads, and it just it you know it, there's something about respecting the product and giving people what they really want to see which is action, not promos. I think that Vince has lost. He feels that fans like the promos as much as they like the action. And I, I think AEW has their, and certainly NWA Power, has, or the NWA uh, 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 show, when they had Power on and now with their new show, um, they, they, they get the idea that people want maybe a five-minute promo at best. And then get in the ring and start moving around. Even if it, even if you have rest holds, even if you have guys running around outside the ring and taking a breather, you're better off with that than the 20 minute Triple H promo or the Miz that won't ever shut up. 
So I got to admit, I think that show's called Shockwave, the new NWA yeah, show. Yeah, Shockwave, thank you. Yes. I'll admit I haven't seen, it. just that that kind of popped in my head, and I said, I think that might be right, but I haven't watched NWA in a while, because um, I'm, I'm usually so busy covering, you know, the other stuff. I mean, I usually do, you know, obviously all the AWA, or AEW shows, and then usually a couple of AEW features, and then I throw in a couple WWE things every week, and and maybe something on. I, I've been doing some indie stuff, and you know it's just kind of a, a mix and match. But um, it, I haven't seen Ring of Honor. I, I watched about twenty minutes of Ring of Honor or thirty minutes, I think, of Ring of Honor the other day, and I I literally was looking and I I recognized like two people on the wow. show. But, you know, like, feel old, it? It yeah, I start feeling old. Well, and I mean, it just makes me realize I, I there's just so much wrestling to watch that I can't. It's not that I I hate Ring of Honor. Right? Like again, I'm I'm yeah, I'm really brought up New Japan or anything like that, and there's a lot of yeah, great uh, wrestling in New Japan I, too. I haven't gotten to see any of that in in a while. You know, I I don't think I've seen it since Jericho was there and Omega. I mean, so that's been a couple of years ago. You know, before, even right before AEW started. So it's been a while. Those I, I mainly focused on AEW, WWE, NXT, and Impact. You know, because quite frankly, you can only write so many stories in a day. You know, speaking of, like, speaking of, well, we're almost at the end of our hour here, and it's been great talking to you. Why don't you go ahead? First of all, you mentioned an indie fed that you work with in in the, in the area near St. Louis. Did you want to give them a plug? Well, I don't really work with them directly. It's I've done a couple things, written some stories for them, you know, just to kind of uh, did some stuff in the local papers for them and stuff like that. And I, as I said, I, I did one time ring announcing, but I will definitely give them a prop, be or a shout out because um, they are one of the best. Just I hate to call them little because, but we are in like little towns down here in Southern Illinois. But Stride Pro Wrestling, just one of the classiest, most family friendly wrestling shows and we we are from a small area but they they draw big crowds because they always put on a quality product and it and again it's it's basically it's it's programmed for the whole family you could take your kids and you're not going to hear a lot of swearing and are they on the internet can can people see their matches on the internet you can find yep stride pro wrestling uh you can you can go to the stride pro wrestling facebook page or i believe it's under stride pro wrestling on youtube Great. You should send one of them our way. I'd love to interview those guys on our show. Um, also, p- plug Sportskedia, Sportskeda and, and anything else that you'd like to plug, or if people want to get a hold of you, how they can do that. I I just did uh, – well, I, I just encourage anybody to please check out my work at sportskeda.com. Um, uh, and I did a couple stories. Actually, I did one about the, the resurrection or the reinvention of Ruby Soho uh, because I That's think a great article. That's a great article. And um, did did one on the plane ride from hell that I would I would encourage anybody to to take a look at. And um, all, and then last word on sports. I just got done doing uh, an indie watch. We do that there where we highlight young up and coming wrestlers. And I did it about a very good friend of mine in Ohio, a wrestling name, AJ Daniels, and he's a great guy, great young guy, high flyer. They call him Mister Zero Gravity. So. Um, as far as me, I'll shut up, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K. Bowman, B-O-M-A-N, Ryan, and then on Facebook, uh, it's Ryan K. Bowman as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for being our guest tonight. You're very informative. We'd love to have you on again. 
as a uh, guest of our show. And uh, maybe one of these days I'll even, maybe you, you can interview me for a sports key to, or, 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 or write an article about Buddy Satello. I'm always available for a reverse interview if you're interested. That would be great. That would be great. The tables would be turned then, my friend. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Thank you so much. And we'll see everybody next week. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank Good you. Good night.